0: now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture now is the time to dare great things and here is your host as we dare great things father nathan cromley the president and founder of the saint john institute
1: when it comes to making leaders nobody does it better than god himself Studying what scripture tells us about how Jesus himself trained future leaders is the ultimate pattern for how we can advance in leadership today. In this 10 part series, I want to study the elements that are essential to this leadership formation. Prominent amongst those many features is the fact that Jesus formed his apostles to live in a community, a veritable band of brothers. This was no accident, but has great fruits for them and for us today. You know, for a long time, I've been really fascinated with the fact that Jesus trained his apostles to be leaders. And this is, it's almost revolutionary to put those two words together, right? We usually think of apostles as being a religious thing, therefore a spiritual thing, therefore something that's emotional or something that's kind of gooey, right? It's something that doesn't really have a real importance for the impact of the world. And then we talk about leaders and we talk about things that are serious and people that are able to, to make a lot of money, for example, or people that are able to be stern or difficult or take people through challenging times. But you know, what, what if in fact we looked at that differently and we thought, we really looked at what an apostle was supposed to do. Just think about it. They were supposed to go where there was no church and make the church. From, I mean, and then make the church as a voluntary association, getting people to voluntarily join this community that therefore had to be structured with laws, had to be sustained with finance, had to overcome inter- interpersonal dynamics to make the very community that they started a community that would start other communities. I mean, you can understand if you look at this from just an economic or sales perspective from a business. This is the ultimate business to create a business that would create businesses, right? To make a product, so to speak, that, that would be so incredibly attractive that people would voluntarily make that product. So a personal gift of themselves and through it make change the world for the better. You mean, you would say, sign me up right now, but how in the world could you ever find managers who are capable, for example, of running such a business? Who are to be invested enough? I mean, you have to have all the skill sets. You have to be able to not only you know have the physicality, the robust physicality and health, to go, for example, as the apostles did, to a foreign land and travel, and then sleep where there's nothing, take a limited amount of resources, and then make initial uh, conversions of people that you could then educate and form so intensely that they'll go out and make initial conversions of people that they can educate and form. So you have to think of what the formation is going to be, what the message is going to be, what the doctrinal limitations are. You have to think about, you have to be strong in relationship abilities. You have to be great in conflict management. You have to be resourceful for when opposition comes your way. The apostles were persecuted. They were tortured. They were rejected. And yet they just didn't stop. You see, all of that all those different skills, all those different abilities needed to be rooted in a person who was capable of taking that idea and not giving up on it until it came to fruition in one form or another. Just the other day, I was speaking with a fellow who was involved in venture capital. And he came by the ministry here to talk to me about what we were doing and see if he could get involved. And it was really funny. You know, we were talking and I said, look, venture capital might be a fine thing, but like it has no place here. We're looking for philanthropy, (laughs) you know, not not venture capital. So we had a good little chuckle there. But then, you know, he says something interesting. He said, you know, Father Nathan, we're not so much interested in a person's idea, you know, because we know in venture capital that the pitch that they're making will change over time the circumstances the things that are going to come their way they're going to end up with a product that looks different than what they're pitching to us right now what determines whether or not we give them the venture capital to a large degree is the person of the founder who it is that's in charge of that project are they the type of person that's going to roll with the punches and see this through until it's successful right so what he was trying to say is it's not just a question of a great business plan it's not a question of having all the skills and techniques There's a question there of authentic leadership from the heart, a person capable of building in any circumstances, using and deploying their skills and their, and their talents, or even, you know, uh, uh, averting their mistakes and their weaknesses intelligently in order to make sure that this thing comes to pass. How do you create that inside of a person? That's what Jesus did with his apostles. He called them, And then he trained the deep down foundation that was in them so that then all of their personal skills could come to fruition. I mean, you had Matthew, for example, who was a tax collector. So he would have been, of course, good with numbers. He would have been an exact person. He would have also had to have been stern as he, you know, he would have been an internally focused kind of fellow. And then you put him next to, you know, an Andrew who's Mr. Social. (laughs) And every time you meet Andrew, he's introducing people to Jesus. Well, that's also a special kind of person. Andrew would have been, had a remarkable skill to read the need and to try to bring other people into that group, a kind of a team building person. You have Simon Peter, who's always the first to answer everything. So he's obviously feeling a great sense of responsibility which is, of course, he's going to need uh, that sense of responsibility. Also of order, because he would take the first step, knowing that he was the one to whom Christ entrusted the church. Um, you know, so you, you can look at these different gifts. St. John, who allowed Christ to love him. I mean, that, that in itself is a gift. What a great team player to be the one that Jesus could pour himself into right? It could be the student so astute to write, as St. John did, these inner workings of, of Jesus. He understood him. Well, that means he had to have that ability to study Jesus. He had those gifts. Each apostle had these different gifts, and you can go through and look at them, but each apostle had these gifts rooted on something deeper, and that something deeper was the fruit of God's grace given to their souls that I'm going to refer to as the, the Christian capacity for leadership, and Jesus allowed the circumstances of their following him and his three years with him to, to form that deep substrata that these different gifts sat upon, the foundation, what their, their sense of a leadership was, who they were as a person galvanized and, and made strong so as to be able to accomplish the mission Jesus was given them. And as he did that to them, so he does it to us. The same techniques, the same philosophy, the same approach, I should say, that Jesus deploys in order to make his apostles saints, he uses in our lives to make us saints too. And if we can recognize that in them, we can understand his working in our lives today. And so the very first of those is that he calls them individually. Right? The very, and we talked about that in the previous you know, a, a class that we had here. We, he, how individual, how his call becomes our identity, like our name. And the second thing that he does is he then develops that call and that identity in the context of brotherhood, of communion. All of them, all of the apostles followed Jesus as individuals, but they followed him individually as a group, meaning that he wanted to teach them something valuable lessons about who they were as leaders by bringing them into a collaborative environment where they had to share their formation share their experience share their leadership with one another and that of course was a
0: dynamic thing i want to take a look at how he does that deep in the gospel itself are you a young adult between the ages of 23 and 35 and wondering what god is calling you to do next do you have a desire or vision that you just can't seem to complete? Then come to the Rise Above Retreat, March 19th through March 25th, at the St. John Institute in Denver, Colorado. For more information, visit www.daregreatthings.org/riseabove. So
1: Christ calls his apostles one by one and with a depth of intimacy, that is is, is as close to them as their name. His call is both a recognition of who we are and also a bestowal of the name of who we are. Look at how he changes the names, right? From Saul to Paul, from Simon to Peter, right? There's a a type of transformation into an identity that comes from when we follow the call of Christ. This is why many monks and nuns, for example, in the Catholic church will take on a new name. They'll actually, you know, I'm Brother Theodore of the Holy Cross, or I'm, you know, Mother Margaret Mary, you know, of the Holy Wounds, or whatever it is, because they're, they're expressing that following Jesus and doing his mission uh, is, is as intimate a thing that they could possibly do. It's an expression of the depths of who they are. And yet at the same time, he brings them into this collab- collaboration called Communion. Where each person who's known by Christ and loved by Christ now has to interact with other people in a way that they themselves become the agents of Jesus's love to one another. And this is what's so important for uh, the perspective of Christian leadership. You know, there, of course, we all see it's wonderful to have friends, it's all necessary to have people who support one another. And yet, a Christian goes even deeper. A Christian in their leadership, says that my role as a leader is to be an instrument of God's leadership in the world. My, my life, my assertion of myself is actually there as a tool, a conduit, through which I can bring the world God's influence and God's rule of this world. And that's, of course, so much more incredible a perspective. That's what makes Christian leadership both so important and also so life changing. So I mean, it's the whole new thing that we are entering into. A Christian doesn't just ex- assert themselves. When a Christian leader asserts themselves properly, right in the life of grace, attached to the mystical body of Christ, they actually assert Christ's influence in the world. And this is why we need you so badly. We we need you there in your businesses. We need you in your professions. We need you there in your families, because the world needs Christ, and the and Christ gives Himself when we do. And this is the lesson that the apostles learn. By I mean, they have this intimate knowledge of Jesus' love for them. He calls them by name. He invites them to follow Him. He's going to bestow the priesthood upon them one by one. He's going to wash their feet. He's going to feed them His body and His blood. I mean, you know, this is pretty intense. And, and the love that he has for each one of them is, is gotta be just, I mean, it's just amazing, right? And it's just the same way as he loves each one of us. And yet at the same time, then he says, I want you to share with one another. And what he's doing there is he's inviting them to be more than simply in reference to him, but to also have a reference point to their fellow human beings. So so many of us as Catholics, we are Christians, we we pray every day or we do our spirituality and we have a tendency to look at our spirituality as something separate from the rest of our lives. And that is because it is, right? It's It's not that it's not separate. It's just that at the same time, wouldn't it be amazing if we saw our spirituality for the sake of our gift, both to God and the gift of ourselves towards everyone else through our jobs? through our professions, right? Through what we do every day, through our wealth, through our success. See, see to get beyond the perspective of seeing ourselves as, as we appear to be and as we might feel that we are. That is why I'm, I'm a person and I'm trying to make it through life. A Christian just doesn't make it through life, everybody. A Christian is invited by God to be a hero, okay? Meaning uh, uh, that a Christian steps forward into the darkness to bring the light, and that means that the gift of ourselves that we that we normally go through and that we've been trained to do and educated in, as valuable as that is, is an actual opportunity for God to give himself through us. And that's a much more intense and beautiful perspective. And it it highlights just how important each one of us is and just how beautiful a chance and opportunity our lives are to do something much beyond anything that we could do on our own. That, I mean, and that's the part of the Christian genius. I mean, how exciting, how creative to think that a human life is called by God to be his conduit, right? And this is why the apostles lived in communion. If you look at it, Jesus calls, not, sometimes he calls them not only individually, one by one, but he'll call them at the same time as he calls their own brothers, and I think about how awkward that is, right? All of the sibling jealousies that can exist, all of the history of their families that exist, It's like they can't escape their family, no matter what they do. They got, you know, Peter's got his brother Andrew there, and then the cousins are James has got his brother John. There's two sets of brothers, and then their cousins, and all four of them work in the same family business. If you guys ever, if that ever, you know, occurred to you, but out of the twelve apostles, one third of them was all from a single company. (laughs) The poor company, you know, they got left behind. They left their dad's fishing company, their grandpa's fishing company, whatever it is, because they're running a whole business. They got workers, they've got boats, they've got inventory, they've got, you know, all all kinds of uh, processes in place. And they leave all that behind, right? So he's one one third of the apostles. It's incredible. And then they've got to live together. I mean, all 12 of them You've got them in boats, for example, rowing all night long in a boat. Well, <laughs> I've never had to do that. You know, I wonder, I wonder what that's like, you know, but it seems like they do it all the time, but that's a pretty, you know, I mean, that's a pretty close environment and it's a difficult environment. You're going through a storm together on a boat. Just imagine that scene and put yourself there. You'll never forget those people the rest of, of your life. You think you're going to die. I mean, you're going on the lake. It seems like almost every night, these guys are on lakes with storms that are blowing up. I mean, it happens once; it happens twice. I mean, they watch Simon Peter walk on water in the midst of a storm. They witnessed the miracles that Christ does to the various people. I mean, like he's healing people; he's casting out demons. They work together to cast out demons, sometimes praying, you know, over the people themselves and, and, and doing the exorcism themselves. And then you just have the simple fact that they're eating together. They're washing their hands together. They're you know, talking together. They're walking side by side. They're sitting next to each other as Jesus teaches them things. And then they all have a common enemy. Uh, you, you, when you look at the people trying to stop Jesus, they'll try to infiltrate through the apostles. So they're aware of what people are saying. They're sharing with one another what people are saying. They're watching as each other bears that weight in different ways. Obviously, for example, Judas, the, Judas Iscariot, he bore that weight in a poor way, right? Like, and the other apostles are listening to him, watching him. They're sharing this experience of not being Jesus and following Jesus in their various gifts, and their various ways, Uh, you know, they have the 5,000 people put in front of them. And Jesus turns to them and says, what will we give them to eat, right? Like they're looking at each other like, who's going to answer that question, right? Who's going to say, so Andrew says something. Okay, Andrew always does that, right? And they have to learn to take one another in and then to give each one their own strengths and their own gifts in their own way and be appreciated by the others. They shared the common experience of not being Jesus while sharing in Jesus's mission. Does that sound familiar? (laughs) It kind of sounds like each one of us, right? And isn't it amazing to see that parallel? That just as Christ calls us by saving us from our sins and baptizing us in intimacy, you only get baptized one at a time, right? And that baptism is, is that moment when Christ's grace floods your soul and you know him and he knows you and he gives you a name. And then, I mean, so all that intimacy and then you're plunged into a communion of other people. And there's a reason for that. And the reason for that is so that you remember that his intimacy and his gift of himself to you has two goals. The first is that it link you to the father in the absolute sublime wonder of union between your soul and God. And the second is that it link you to your brothers and sisters as a beautiful instrument of God's love to them, his saving influence to them, as you share life with them and share his life through you with them. And that's a twofold focus of charity but it's really important that we understand it because then we can understand the reason why Christ calls you to be a lay leader, not a priest, not a nun, a lay person, just an average Joe at your your desk, at your job. No, because there's no such thing as an average Joe. Christians aren't
0: just average Joes, they're St. Joseph's. Would you like to start your Thursday mornings with a scriptural leadership lesson? Join the St. John Leadership Network where Father Nathan hosts a 30-minute call at 6.30 a.m. in all four U.S. time zones. To learn more, go to member and join for free today. So when we think
1: through the gospel and we watch the insistence that Jesus gives to his apostles, that they live in communion, Sharing daily life, sharing the daily chores, sharing the threats that are out there, sharing the word of Christ. I mean, there's moments where they're individualized and Christ speaks to them in a very unique way. And I'm sure he did that for each one of them. You have John, for example, the one whom Jesus loved, right? There's an intimacy there. The one who, So he loves him in a, in a different kind of way, in a unique way, just like he loves each one in a unique way. And yet the context of their, of their intimacy with Christ is always in the, the context of a community. Christ forms leaders in a context of mutual shared life. I just got to put it that way because it's the, re- I mean, when you look at how Christ forms his disciples, he forms them as a group of 12. Now you ask yourself, what's the reason for that? What, what are they going to get out of that? There's two main things that, that's going to be accomplished by that choice. The first is that they're going to be able to enrich one another And the second is that they're going to be able to correct one another, okay? So the first, and this course, it's the same for us. You think to yourself, why in the world would God call me to be married, right? Like if I'm supposed to be a saint, I'm supposed to go to heaven, well, then why am I married, right? The the reason you're married is so that you can go to heaven with your spouse and that you can bring your spouse to heaven. And and so it's like amazing that you could, and, and also that you could be brought to heaven by your spouse, And and so that together you can be the instrument of God one to another and that you'll have that enrichment and also that strengthening that comes from, well, frankly, (laughs) all the rough edges of you being knocked off. I remember that, that old story about marriage that a priest told me one time, he said, you know, when people get married, it's like God takes a couple of rocks and he puts them in a bag and then he just starts to shake the bag right he's, as he's shaking the bag those those rocks are colliding against each other right and and it's not it's not pleasant it's not fun but he just keeps on shaking keeps on shaking keeps on shaking and after 35 years 45 years he opens the bag and there come out two polished stones beautiful polished stones that come out from that right so it's a beautiful little story <laughs> it's a lot less fun when you're living it right it's the same thing you could say, thinking our families, why all these family troubles, these family dynamics? It'd just be so much easier if I was all alone in the world. Well, it, maybe it would be easier, but it doesn't mean it would be better. In the same way, I could say, why do I have to constantly fight my culture? Why is it that our country's culture and the values that are on TV, values that are in the school, they all seem to be going downhill? And Christians have to constantly be trying to, to fight for this thing. When are we going to win? When is it going to be over? When do we finally get to say, we brought, you know, Jesus into the world and it's, and now I can just coast, right? And just let the world be because it's a wonderful place to be. Well, I mean, honestly, I don't think it'll ever be the case because there's a shared living between also the Christian church and the secular world, the pagan world, the secular world, all of that. We're in like salt in the earth, like yeast in the dome. We are called to share the common experience and, to, and by so doing to share the light of Christ and the influence of Christ as we transform that common experience by a new way of living. Like everybody forms families or everybody falls in love. Everybody writes books. Everybody goes to work. Yes, but a Christian does it in a different way. And that different way by which we do it, that gives an example to others, by which they can then go back and give praise to our father who is in heaven. So that means that we as a Christian body will enrich the world that is not Christian around us. And in the same way, a holy spouse will enrich the life of their spouse and the faith of their spouse. And this is because, of course, it's the same dynamic amongst the 12 apostles. They could enrich one another. There are two basic rules to this life and community. The first is that each one has gifts and that that's amazing. And the second one is that no one has them all. And that means that some in a community will be really intelligent. Others will be less intelligent. Well, why would God do that? Why would he allow that? It's so that the more intelligent ones can teach the ones who are less intelligent. So really being at the bottom of the gifted pile allows you to be constantly amazed and constantly taught, constantly enriched, you end up at the top of the pile of a community. If you come in at the bottom of a pile in any kind of community that you are, and you say to yourself, gosh, I don't have these gifts, it's actually wonderful in a sense, because that means that everybody else can give their gifts to you. And if you open yourself humbly to receive them, you become a part, a sharer in this magnificent, you know, the magnificent gifts of one another. The idea is to see that we're mutually interdependent and giving and lifting one another up. And that's really the perspective that I want you to take as you go into your businesses and into your workplaces. Stop looking at your workplace environment as the world defines it. The world will define your workplace environment as something you've got to do to make money so that then you can do something else. But that's fine. I mean, it's not that it's like wrong. It's just that it's really limited. You know, a Christian looks at something so differently. I'm in this job because this is my service to my fellow human beings. And therefore the way that I do that job and the quality with which I do it and the approach that I take into it will be, will be number one, very convincing from a secular point of view because you're gonna have a lot more passion and conviction about what you do. But then number two, of course, is it has a meaning that just a be- makes it a beautiful gift for everyone who's going to receive it. Remember that the second aspect of community is correction. So the 12 apostles at the same time could help one another. And that's the real blight that we have to see in this correction. A correction is not you're doing it wrong. A correction is I see a way for you to even bring more of God's influence in a better way into what you're doing. And so we see that with St. Peter and St. Paul, for example, the famous correction in Galatians. We see this also in the way that Jesus corrects them for being jealous about what position they're going to have amongst the 12 apostles. Even though they're called to forgive each other seven times, 70 times, they're at the same time also called to be a mutual instrument for sharpening one another as iron sharpens iron. And as we go forward in our own Christian life, God will do the same for us. Letting us sharpen others and letting us be sharpened by others. This is the joy of following Christ in a community.
0: Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.